0: The Lifestylist, episode 194, featuring Neil Strauss.
1: I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, Designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. The podcast you're listening to right now is made possible in part by my friends over at Juve. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while or following me on social media, you've probably seen me using red light therapy or at least talking about it. It's something that's technically referred to as photobiomodulation, and it's arguably the most well-researched biohack that I currently use, seriously. There's over 3,000 published clinical papers on light therapy. What's even more compelling is that over 200 of them are double-blinded, randomized, and placebo-controlled. In short, that means that they've been proven to work. So some of the benefits include improved skin health, increased muscle recovery, better sexual performance, and reduced joint pain and inflammation. So you can see why I'm such a big fan of the red light therapy. And that's why all my friends now come over to my house on a regular basis wanting to use my Juve device. So that's my favorite current application. And if you want to check it out, you can go to juve.com forward slash Luke That's J-O-O-V-V dot com forward slash Luke. And if you enter the code Luke at checkout, you're going to receive a free gift. So as I said, this is one of my favorite biohacks. It feels good. It's fast. It's easy. It's something you can stack with other modalities. Red light therapy is the future and you can find out all about it at juve.com forward slash Luke. Having been someone that's been into taking medicinal mushrooms for many, many years, I got to tell you, I was super stoked when Four Sigmatic dropped on the scene a couple years ago with their super tasty, easy to use little mushroom packets. Now, one of the ones I was most excited about and continue to be excited about, in fact, just this morning when I made my morning feti butter coffee, I put their reishi packet right in there straight up. And I do that just about every day, actually, morning and night. At least I'm doing one of them. But one of the things that's great about their reishi is you get the health benefits from it, but they actually found a way to make make it taste good. Now, reishi mushrooms normally taste really, really bitter if you get a medicinal dose, which... By the way, uh, their products do have 1500 milligrams of reishi, which is a medicinal dose. Somehow they've worked their magic, these crazy fins, and they found a way to make reishi actually taste good. So part of my morning ritual will be to take their reishi or maybe chaga or one of their other mushroom products, but definitely before bed or any time I want to relax. Even right before I meditate sometimes, I'll just make myself a nice warm elixir, some coconut oil, some ghee, throw that in the blender and fire that up and it's instantly calming. And there's tons of scientific studies that indicate that ongoing use of reishi mushrooms not only helps you sleep the night you take it, but there's a cumulative effect. So if you take it all the time, you tend to be more and more relaxed over time and your sleep cycles get regulated. Not to mention all of the immune-modulating properties of reishi mushrooms. This is one of the kings of the Chinese herbal system and reishi is just fantastic. And now we've got a way to take it that's not only effective, but tastes really good. So if you want to check it out, go to foursigmatic.com forward slash Story. That's foursigmatic.com forward slash Story. And as always, my friend, I've got an amazing discount for you. If you use the code LUKESTORY at checkout, you're going to save 15% off at foursigmatic.com forward slash LUKESTORY. My name is Story, bringing you a very special episode of the Lifestylist podcast. Today is our second time guest, author Neil Strauss. He's a legendary 10-time New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and coach. He formed an exclusive high-level international personal growth, networking, and mastermind group called the Society International in 2011, of which I was a former member, by the way, and also just published a couple podcast solo shows uh, recorded live at one of the society intensives. And the Society International continues to grow as a -a one-of-a-kind global group of like-minded people focusing on becoming their best selves which is kind of Neil's thing, as you'll hear in this episode, all about conscious parenting. I'd also love to give a shout out to Neil's brand new podcast. It just launched a few days ago called To Live and Die in LA. It's about the disappearance of aspiring actress, Adea Shabani. And um, this podcast is insane. I listened to the trailer. He sent me the trailer um, a couple of weeks ago. and said, hey, you know, make sure to give this a listen and plug it on your show in my episode. And of course, I am happy to oblige, but I listened to it uh, on a drive yesterday And this podcast is so well-produced. I mean, it's like watching a movie, of course, inside your head. You can't watch movies when you drive. That's why podcasts are awesome. But it is a fantastic, um, tragic, whodunit mystery show. I'm already addicted, just like I am to every single Neil Strauss book I've ever read, Uh, every one I've ever picked up. I just can't stop reading it. The Game, Emergency, Uh, Motley Crue, The Dirt, which is any day now going to be a Netflix movie. Um, So Neil is just an expert storyteller, and he's a person who, when he becomes interested in something, whether he's doing a podcast about it, writing a book about it, he fully dives in 100%. (laughs) If you want an example of that, read his book, The Game, about when he infiltrated the secret subculture of pickup artists and then ended up becoming one, and then on to his book, Uh, The Truth, in which he became a family man. And that's what this episode is about, folks. So if you're planning on having kids or you already have kids, you definitely want to give this a listen. And if you're someone that cares about the future of mankind, I think this is a great show for you too. Because as we discuss in the episode, uh, Neil believes that the key to changing the world is healthy parenting. Some of the other things we talk about in this here conversation are maintaining a great relationship with the other parent of your child, even when the romantic relationship ends. The biggest myth about relationships, why staying together for the kids is a backwards plan that does not produce healthy, loving role models. Developing a mature relationship with monogamy. A sure way to kill any romantic relationship, that is turning your partner into a parent and how to avoid that. The moment Neil learned that he was going to have a kid... Also the first time he ever hoped a pregnancy test would come back positive. The books and experts that have taught Neil the most about parenting and why he keeps a diary for his son. Finally, how a parent can create boundaries and not get enmeshed with their child while still being loving and intimate with them. And, um, this, you know, this, I don't have kids yet. Probably will at some point here, if I don't die first, (laughs) I'm getting up there, but, uh, Man, Neil, just watching him with his son, Ten, he's just such a good dad. And that's why, you know, I bugged him and bugged him about doing a show on this topic. You know, he's not yet done a book about it. He has no reason to necessarily promote, you know, parenting, but just watching him with his son and how he has navigated uh, a recent separation with his wife um, so peacefully, I think, I mean, from the outside and the way he describes it in the episode. And uh, he's just kind of my dad hero, you know, as a guy least likely to be awarded Dad of the Year Award. Um, if you read his book, The Game, you you can't imagine him being the guy he is now, but um, he's a kindred spirit in that he's committed to his own evolution and making the world a better place, one reader or listener at a time. So I'm very pleased to present this episode to you. Before we jump into it, I'd love to invite you to next Tuesday's episode, number 195, with the guys from Biocharger. I recorded this um, at a Tony Robbins event in Florida a couple months ago, I, I knew about this, this device called the biocharger. And then I walk around the corner one day, just completely smoked so tired. Cause Tony's just kicking our ass for 23 hours a day or whatever it was. And I'm like, Oh my God, I see the sea of biochargers and I've used these things before. And they give you a crap load of energy. You sit there for like 12 or 15 minutes in front of this super futuristic sci-fi crazy thing. By the way, you just, if you want to see it, just follow me on Instagram or join the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group and you'll get to see me posting this thing all the time because it's quite a spectacle. But anyway, these guys got me through that week of uh, Date with Destiny with Tony and um, the biochargers insane. So I actually grabbed them on a break. We kind of snuck into our hotel next door, the adjoining uh, hotel where the event was being held and recorded this fantastic episode. So next, that's next Tuesday, Harnessing the Healing Power of the Cosmos with Jim Law and Jim Gerard. If you like biohacking and you want to be on the up and up of the next level shit, uh, you definitely want to check out next week's show. And as I said, make sure to follow me on Instagram. I'm easy to find at Luke story. You can join the Lifestylist podcast, private Facebook group, just search, you know, the Lifestylist in there. You'll find it request to join. We'll let you in. And that's a great place to interact and ask questions and see behind the scenes recordings of uh, all of these podcasts and things like that. Uh, For those of you that aren't aware, you can also watch 99% of these shows on YouTube. I Always do my best to shoot a video at the same time of the interview. And that's where you can find out what's happening. So listen, uh, let's make the world a better place by making better kids. It's a challenging world uh, that we live in today. It's getting more complex and more uh, overpopulated as we speak. There's probably someone listening to my voice making a goddamn baby right now. One would hope. But I love what Neil's doing with his son, and he's a great example of how to be a dad in training. And we get a real-time view into what that experience is like for him in this very episode. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. Neil Strauss. Neil Strauss, what's up, dude? Welcome back to the show. <laughs> oh, man, it's good to have you here. Oh, uh, this is... Or good to have me here. Yeah, this is... With you. It's good to have both of us here. <laughs> yes. This is really fun uh, because those of you listening, I'm sure I'll... I guess you are here.
0: You're here at my thing and I'm here at your thing. Yeah, exactly.
1: So we're here at Neil Strauss's Intensive. And this is a very meaningful event for me to participate in for a number of reasons. uh, Because there's so many guys here that I know and respect and the speakers. And it's always fun to see you and catch up. But my public speaking career in terms of health and wellness and spirituality and the things that I'm into really began, uh, I guess it was about three years ago, at one of the other intensives. And what had happened was is you reached out to me, Neil reached out to me and said, hey, I'm putting together a thing on biohacking. I know you're a big health nut. Who would be some of the great speakers to have? I made a couple recommendations and a couple intros. And then I swear to God, I was like nervous to even do this. And I, I debated, oh, I don't know. He's going to feel weird because we're kind of friends. I don't want to make it awkward. I said, eh, fuck it. And I said, Neil if you could squeeze me in to do a talk, I'd really love to <laughs> right. you know, come and just for a few minutes to share some stuff with the guys. And you answered right back. We're like, cool, we'll put you on right after David Wolf on opening night. <laughs> right. I was like, <laughs> dude, not exactly um, what I had in mind. Uh, a little more involvement than I felt that I was ready for. But uh, you know, that was really the, the, the point at which I made a decision to pursue my life's passion, which is helping alleviate suffering for people uh, in the ways that I've suffered and what I've figured out. And you know the great response I got from you and Rick Rubin and the other speakers like Jack Cruz and Daniel Vitalis and all the people there. I mean, I got a couple of people, including you, that said, dude, why aren't you doing this? This is your calling. Yeah. And even despite self-doubt and low self-esteem issues and stuff that said, I can't do it, I'm not good enough, whatever that bullshit was, I couldn't ignore feedback from so many people that I respected. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of my journey. So again, I think I mentioned this when we recorded before, but... I don't forget where I came from, and I don't forget the people that helped me along the way.
0: Yeah, when I, I and I get so excited when I see your success or people coming up to me and mentioning, "Did you hear this on the Luke Story Podcast?" Or it's so exciting. I, mean, I remember you sending me the uh, thumbnails for the different uh, for the podcast oh, originally, yeah, yeah, the different yeah. thumbnails in which we liked the best. But here's what I remember about that talk specifically. So I think maybe you had an hour at the end of the day, uh, but you had prepared so much stuff, and it was so good and so such high quality. Uh, because you have a great combination of being likable, which not everybody in this community is, right? Uh, And uh, being, giving good takeaway content that people can use, you know, suggestions, content, very uh, applicable. And C, not getting too lost in the weeds of the science that everybody can follow along. So whether you're an expert or sort of a beginner, there's enough for both, of, both people in there. So you presented so beautifully. Uh, and then I remember you're like, barely through your presentation. So we said, it was, that was Friday night. We said, okay, let's put you on at the end of the day Saturday. So we added a slot for you. You weren't done yet. And I am like, does anyone hear more of Luke? And everyone's like, hell yeah. So he put you on the end of the day Sunday night. So it became kind of like, uh, because of the quality of what you were offering, it just became like a whole through line of the intensive
1: That's so cool. And that was huge for me too. Because you wanted to
0: be heard. You know, you're worried no one would want to hear, and everybody wanted to hear you.
1: Yeah. It was, again, even in the feedback from the guys too, I was like, God, I just can't ignore this. I'm not, this isn't in my head that people are responding because the feedback was so immediate. I even, at one of those, Talks, I got a standing ovation. Yeah. So I was like, what the hell? Right. My heroes, the guys that I pay money to go see speak are speaking, and none of them got one. Right. I'm like, well, okay, this is weird. Yeah. You know, so anyway, that's, you know, that's the origin story. And here we are, full circle, having, you know, turned this into a career and doing all kinds of things now. And it's just, it feels really good to be back here and to see you and be able yeah. to continue to contribute.
0: And then the message for people listening is so many people who come up when someone comes up and says, uh, I want to do this. Here's my marketing and business plan. And here's how I'm branding myself. I always think, oh, you've got that all backward. You start something with just, I really enjoy this. And I'm really curious about it. And your enjoyment and curiosity turns to an obsession. And then your obsession turns into an expertise. And then you just do it versus, oh, that's where I want to be. I'm just going to start doing it. What's my plan? It's just like interest. I guess it's interest to curiosity, you know, to learning to obsession, to expertise. And that's the natural course of, uh, you know, becoming all the people who you look, most people like and respect. It really wasn't like some marketing branding plan. It looks like that afterward. Most of them just got serious and got lucky and cared enough to really put their whole hearts into it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that was, I I understood sort of the content marketing strategy. Right. And the first thing that you do... It's just give, 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 give. And so that's what I really have been doing for the first right. two years out of this three years now. I didn't start ever trying to sell anything or have any affiliates or anything for six months after my podcast was even out. And then I was like, hey, if you want to donate on Patreon or had a little PayPal thing, I mean, no one really did it. But then I started to actually get paid a little bit. And I thought, holy shit, yeah. this is what I do for free anyway. Right. You know, come over to your house, go through your cabinets, show you all the aspartame and MSG. I that. Get rid of that shit. I mean, it's not like, oh, how much money am I going to make? It's like, oh my God, I geek the fuck out on this stuff. It's just super fun for me to do it and the other person benefits too. And
0: It always, it always you know? starts that way and that's what people don't get because people try to backward engineer their own success and can't figure it out. But I, for me, I know when something I'm doing is going to be successful, not because the marketing plan, because when I talk about it, People get excited and want to hear more. Right. Like it's that simple. Yeah, that's awesome. That's
1: always what I tell people when they come to me and say, hey, your podcast seems to be doing well. I want to have a podcast. What's the strategy? What's the thing? I said, dude, be passionate about what you're putting out and just do it consistency and don't worry about what you're getting back. That's going to come. If you're passionate, people are going to feed off your passion. Like we watched Jack Cruz in here. I mean, whether or not guys in the room agree with him or not, they're all
0: glued to everything he says because he's so goddamn passionate about it. Yeah, just do shit you enjoy <laughs> yeah, exactly. really and like and but but and then there's like the what about money question like i got a feeling i, I feel like i can say this none of you listening to this right now are, are going to die from lack of money you're not you're not you're not like i don't think anyone's gonna die from. please let us know if i'm wrong but like you're gonna if you, i really feel if you have a slight personality someone will always let you stay on their couch and eat their food yeah, totally. You really will. Like, and people yeah. always have dirty windows. <laughs> <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly, exactly. All right. So okay, let's, let's, let's get forward. Yeah, let's go ahead I, and let's yeah, step into it. You know, I always like to do a little recap with people that have been on the show before. And for those of you listening, uh, we did a show all about relationship dynamics and stuff before, which was huge for me at the time because I was in a relationship. My partner at the time was with me at your house. And it was interesting because a lot of the things I was asking you about, I don't know if you got that pertained to the situation I, I was it. in. I was kind of hoping she would hear some of it. Maybe it would help us work things out and build something. And, you know, ultimately that relationship um, dissolved, uh, unfortunately. But it was a great conversation. So I'd encourage people to go back and check that out. But you're a guy who is obviously an author, one of my favorite authors. I, you know, even I didn't know you, I'd say, oh, he's my favorite author. I love his books. Your books make me laugh, I cry, I can't put them down. They're like crack books. You just have a knack for writing. And one of the first books, I think your first one I read was the Marilyn Manson one. Yeah, my first girlfriend. one was on tour with them, and I was I had to break up with her because I was mortified <laughs> at what went on on their tour. Right. But then I read um, the Game, which was you infiltrating this. You know, subculture of pickup artists, you infiltrated that as you started writing the book, as you do this fully immersive style writing where you don't write about it, you write in it from it. Right. So you went into that. Then you start teaching guys how to meet people and have social skills and pick up women and get a wife or get laid or whatever they're trying to do, you know, in relationship and use that stuff. Went through this whole period of personal growth and evolution, which culminated in a book called The Truth which is one of my all-time favorite books. And I was, you know, we're similar age and I kind of went through the same cycles of going out, dating a lot of people, not wanting to commit, trying open relationships, doing all that stuff. That eventually kind of hit a dead end for me, went through a breakup, was very sad, lost someone I really loved because I was kind of too immature to bring, you know, what was required to sustain that relationship in a fulfilling way for her. And then I read the truth and it was like this, I used to sit on my couch, dude, and just cry while I was reading it because it was like, spoiler alert, stop listening now if you don't want to know the end of the book. But at the end, you got your love back that you had lost, you know. And I didn't. And I was just reading that story going, oh, and it identified so many ways in which I was stuck in relationship. And now it's been a few years since you, you know, you spent a few years writing the truth. It spanned over quite a long period of time, I think around five years. And now it's been a few years since the book came out. And now that relationship that you managed to save in the book, which was this great hero's journey with a happy ending, now your relationship is changing and and ending the romantic part of it. So where are you in your life now in terms of your marriage, separation, the prospect of dating, romance,
0: all of that, having been someone that's gone through quite an arc of a cycle? Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, to me, it's kind of the phases of life. I'm really in like the parenting, being a great dad phase. I really fully believe like if you really want to change the world we're already we're already fucked you know like just like really healthy parenting is the key to world peace people act out their trauma people are acting out their trauma hardcore now on each other and they become perpetrators even because they've been victims in the past so i really believe like understanding healthy parenting and healthy psychology and how to raise a child because again it really is we're born to be so adaptable and they'll like adapt to whatever that home environment is. So to me, that's the next phase now is just being a great dad. Are there any uh,
1: thoughts for books in the work on, on conscious parenting, on you know parenting as a
0: modern, integrated person? Uh, the, the the sh- There's something I might do, but the main, main answer is like I don't do a book until I really feel like I 100% have something new to contribute that hasn't been said or said in that way before. Just because I, I think just because I did it, it just make it interesting to me. It's only interesting if I'm like this somehow moves the conversation forward, right? So hopefully I'll get to that place.
1: Okay, so I, I'm going to jump back <laughs> a little bit because I the main purpose of this podcast is actually to talk about. I'm parenting. so excited to talk about it and what yeah, I'm doing. I'm I so do, excited. I do want to get a, a little bit of an update though in terms of your relationship because you know I I, I talked to you or Ingrid recently right. and someone said like oh I'm moving over there and I was like. I'm moving, yeah. not we're moving. Yeah, yeah. And so we haven't really talked sure. about it, but I see you, and you're like, oh yeah, we're we're separating and divorcing. Yeah, and yeah. That, that phase has ended. What's that been like? And if you things, see us together, we have a great relationship. Yeah, even that's, be, I, even, I think even, that's yeah. why I'm like, I want a little bit of a, <laughs> a report on that because I saw her. She seems happy. You seem happy. You seem like two mature people that have figured out. Hey, we're you know our relationship is going to change and evolve right. into a different. Way where we're not together in that capacity. So, how has that looked, so, and so, how have you managed to not hate each other like many do when they get right.
0: divorced? I mean, the, the main thing is just emotional intelligence and maturity. Like, there's no reason to hate somebody. You've, I think, man, I have so much. I have so much to say. I'm rooming with like ten ideas at the same time. But I'll make the first point. The first point is most shit is completely made up. Most everything is made up. The idea that a marriage has to last forever or a certain length of time. The idea that a relation. First of all, big myth. <laughs> that if a relationship doesn't last forever, that it's a failure. You know, the only relationship that's a failure is one that lasts longer than it should. When mm-hmm. you're no longer Damn. happy and miserable. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Right? It's like, it's just, why do we, it's crazy when people say it didn't work out. No, no. We're like what? Like, you know, it worked out, it probably worked out on for one, three or five years and it really works out if like, we've gone, had nothing is joyful anymore uh, and now it's time to, you know, find a way to, Part on a healthy way. So, so that's one. Two is like, really, like, there's no, there's no, and people who who stay together for the kids is insane. You're the kids, kids don't need their parents to stay together. What they need is healthy, loving parents, period, and positive role models. uh, And two bickering, unhappy parents staying together, like, is really role modeling something horrible. Or, or worse, sometimes Sometimes there's literally, I mean, I know people who are uh, emotionally abusive with each other modeling, you're modeling that for your children. Or you're modeling just a lack of love, a lack of intimacy, a lack of content. content. There's a way, contact. Um, so we have these really myths we're stuck to. Another myth is the monogamy, non-monogamy myth. It's, it's a made-up thing. Like there's no monogamy, not, there's no, it's just like, it's just a made-up thing in my opinion, by the way, this is just my opinion, um, in the sense that like, and we look at our animals monogamous, so we got to study it. No, it's just like, here's the thing on monogamy, and non-monogamy, Since uh, is, is you just, you do what's best for you and your partner or partners, which is, let's say if you're dating someone or married to someone, there's three entities. There's you, There's the person you're dating, there's the relationship. So if I feel trapped and I want to sleep with someone else, and it's going to hurt you, but you're going to let me do it because you don't want to lose me, that's unhealthy, right? Healthy is we're together, we're in love, and you have an abundant surplus of me, I have a surplus of you, and maybe me or you having an experience apart or together would then bring more joy and love into our life. So it would help the relationship, it would help you, be positive for you and be positive for me, then let's go experiment. And if one day that changes, we renegotiate. But The idea is like it can evolve and change. So being in a relationship and just saying we're monogamous or we're non-monogamous forever—it's like taking a job and saying I'm just gonna, you know, (laughs) I'm just gonna file these papers and take these phone calls for this person. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, for the rest of my life, which is insane.
1: Yeah, that I mean that's an interesting perspective and having experienced some different cycles in life, and you know, weirdly enough, like I said, have corresponded with your writing. Right. Uh, You know where I'm in my life now. I'm single. I just took a as I told you, you know, nineteen months off from dating, sex, any of that, recently made a decision. I think I'm really ready to start dating. I know right. exactly what I want and I know exactly what I have to offer. And right. I'm more clear about that than I've ever been in my life, having right. taken a break and really looked inside and done the fucking work. Right. And I was the guy that would never be monogamous, always wanted right. open relationships, tried all these different configurations and sometimes partner would agree, sometimes not. If they didn't agree, we broke up. And I was very stuck in this idea that monogamy is something made up to control you right. and all these weird sort of child childish kind of ideas about it, you know. Right. When in fact, as you said, it is a choice that conscious people make at different times in their life or different stages of the relationship. Right. But it's funny now because when I hear you talk about Just the concept of, oh, you're with someone and you both love each other so much
0: that you allow the other one to be free and stuff. That sounds so horrendous. But but listen to your word. But listen to your word. Okay. But listen to your word. By the way, you must always question the premises of the culture that you're randomly born into. Okay. Meaning we're stuck in these premises that are just false. So, but listen, that they allow you. So, your ideas, you're turning them into a captor, not a partner. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right? right, right. Like if they allow you, there's no, uh, there's no allowing. Like they're not allowing. You could, you're free in a relationship to do whatever you want. You just have to live with the consequences. Right. So if you're with somebody, you say, hey, I would love to have this experience with this person I I, I met. They say, no, I'm not comfortable with that. You can still say, well, I'm going to choose to do that, and the consequences. You might not have your relationship. So if it's worth it to you, go do it. Right. You're not 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 allowed to do it. You just can't don't get to control the other person. What you're perceiving is allowing is actually controlling. I want to do what I want and I want you to feel good about it. <laughs> right, right. Right? No matter what. Right. right? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting <laughs> distinction. People get so caught. I was just talking to someone today. They, they, they turn their... The biggest thing you can do to kill a relationship is if you turn your partner into a parent. And they're like, I just feel trapped. They're not trapping you. Maybe they're not happy if you do that, but you can still go do it. Right? right and people right. feel like they're controlled. They're trapped. Like literally, unless they've got like a lock and key or something, like you really can go do what you want. Unless they dug like a sub basement <laughs> and they, <lie> <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's crazy, if but you're we truly you're right. a captive. But it's, it's like it's like we get in a relationship and instantly our like you know wounded five year old or thirteen year old comes out.
1: Well, that's you know I think um, many of my experiences mm-hmm. have been largely shaped by early yeah. childhood and meshment and those types of things where I did feel. Trapped or responsible, right. or they're letting me or not letting me. Where I've arrived at now is what seems most appealing and attractive. Although I'm not yet in a relationship, right. is I really just I'm very much uh, attracted to the idea of the sanctity of that relationship and the safety of building true intimacy without any interruptions from outside stuff. Like right. that's a side I've not really explored. And I think do, do it if
0: it's right for you. But here's my thought: Yeah, er, race monogamy, not my. It's just about commitment. It's right. About a commitment to that person, so you might have the idea that you want the sanctity and all that said interruptions. You might fall in love with someone who has the other some other ideas about what's intimate to them, right? But right. are you committed to the relationship to figure out what that third entity, what's going to grow that? Interesting, right? Right? Because now right. It's, it's just. What you're saying is just the flip side of the same coin.
1: But it when the Malibu fires just happened, uh, Oh man. Yeah, well what I thought what I thought of because I saw you tweet or Instagram right. or something like I'm ninety-nine point nine percent sure my house <laughs> is gone because of a bunch of shit on point doom burned and you were out of the country, and I was like, Oh, of course, oh my god. But what I first remembered was I think it was in your book Emergency, you talked about this foam or some shit you can spray on your house if a fire's coming and your house won't burn down. Yes. And I was like, how ironic that the guy I learned how to not <laughs> yes. let your house burn down yeah. from, that you keep the shit in your garage in case there's a fire, it's out of the country, yeah. and he's the one with the burned down house. Yeah, yeah, And then you come back and your house is standing and everyone else's house is burned down. Right. It's, yeah, what it's,
0: is that stuff you can spray? It's called Thermo Gel. T-H-E-R-M-O Gel, okay, and yeah, you spray it on your house, and I mean, I think you'll probably also want some, uh, some, some shutters so the embers don't come if there's a broken window. Uh, okay. You spray it in your house, and the fire skips right over it. Supposedly, what it also does, the downside, just to be like everything has its downside, just like with food, this is nothing's a hundred percent healthy. Right. So the downside of this is it does peel off some of the paint in your house, and you get to get your house like power cleaned, maybe repainted afterward. But again, that's a small price compared to like rebuilding your entire right. house for three years of stress and torture. Right. And, and and if your insurance doesn't cover it all and everything else. Yeah. Well, um, so, But but that's it. But it was funny to be away. And I'm like, I'm totally prepared. Yeah. But I'm like thousands of miles away, but it's all right there to save the house. That's but crazy. The, the main thing that I learned from the fire is that I, 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 was, I, we were talking the other day, I was saying that I learned all the lessons of losing all my stuff without losing it, having to lose it. And the real lesson was like, most of this stuff is just like, stuff it's so i realized how much stuff i missed and it was very little like you could put it in one in one plastic not plastic of course we hate plastic in one one recyclable tub <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so uh um and all the stuff i've been dragging around so precious about so little of it so little of it matters but what does matter is like the relationships you know what i mean to me a worst disaster in malibu uh, with you know, around in that area was the shooting in Thousand Oaks. You know, I guess there were, I think there might have been three deaths with the fires in, in Malibu, but it's like burn everything as long as the people you love survive. Yeah. And the yeah. people you, even the people you don't love, they should survive, you know? Yeah. Like the sure. relationships that really made me want to just less stuff, more relationships.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I want to close the loop on the relationships. Yeah. So you, you and your lovely now ex wife, Ingrid, right. have decided to separate. And you guys seem happy and like you're getting along. How, aside, you mentioned emotional intelligence. Right. So, what are, what are your plans? Like, how, how do the mechanics of that look?
0: Yeah, yeah. And for' of all, and still co parenting. Yeah, and, you know, obviously yeah, yeah. saying,
1: hey, we're breaking up, but we still have ten. You're amazing, beautiful, yeah. smart
0: little boy that you know is, of course, both of your priority. Right. And, and and nothing's permanent. It's all just right for right now. Like, if we're we feel later this is the hundred percent best relationship, we can be back in it if we both feel that way. If one of us feels that way too bad, right? You know, but but like nothing. It's all again. It's just all made up shit. Just because you divorce, you can't get back together later. Just but it's about doing what's right for your own kind of joy and uh, and happiness. So the main thing. The main thing, like I'll I'll say is, um, yeah, I think the the short version is just the relationship got to a point where it just wasn't. You know, it was bringing down instead of lifting for both of us, and having tried everything, this was the last thing left to. I guess, try. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the main point I'll make is, well, it's one thing separating or divorcing when you, it's just the two of you. It's another when there's a child or children in the mix. And, um, and I'd always felt this way. I'm, I I came, I'm the child of two parents who really didn't get along. I asked my mom one day what she wanted for her like 50th anniversary. And she was like, you can shoot your father for me. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and so uh, they were miserably together, and even as a child, I would wish they would have affairs or just do something so they could be happy. so that's kind of the context where I was the child of parents that didn't divorce, and that was traumatic to see two people unhappy stuck together yeah um so so the thing about again, we have all these false ideas that divorce is bad for 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 children, and the idea is and again, it's different for he's three and a half, and in my head, I thought if divorce feels like you're losing something, it feels bad. It feels like you're gaining something it feels good. And um, and so, uh, Tens my son's name and he has a friend. His friend just got a new house. And I took him over and they played and they were excited about his friend's new house. So I was like, do you want a new house? He's like, yeah. We're like, okay, let's get you a new house. And Ingrid and I both have cars. So it's mom's car and dad's car. He's like, mama's car, dada's car. I'm like, let's do mama's house, dada's house. And so for him, he was so excited when he went to Ingrid's House, which is not that far away, he got out and I I filmed it. He like screamed with excitement. He was so excited about the new house. He was happy about the new house. He was talking about it with his friends. And because, um, you know, because Inger and I still get along, sometimes I might be there. And so there is no he. He's there should be no interruption of service, right? Right. (laughs) He gets a continuity of service of love service and love service. That service is the love of your mother and your father, and and I will you know and also like. Just fucking like I hear so many people like it just breaks my heart. They're very, I've, so much, I work with obviously mostly men who dealt, who have and, and deal with their trauma, their childhood issues. And so many kids were like messengers for their parents or their parents would try to put them on their side or my side. Like it's insane to be so immature that you're, you being right about your partner being a bad person is more important than your child. Being like happy and healthy and not fucked up. It is the height of emotional immaturity. And in this culture where right now we're really kind of looking at the culture and what are the messages that sense to people, fucking nobody is talking in a way, let's say in a mainstream media way where we're aware of it, about the role that parenting plays in that. It's all about what are the advertisements saying? What are the TV saying? What is fucking, it starts with your parenting. And later, when you're watching the media messages at 12 or 13 or 20 or 30 or 40, most of that shit's, whatever you are, is already cemented in. Yeah. yeah
1: they're not cemented. Point. It's
0: meant strong. But let's just say, like, you know, glue it in. You can still You've pull got the glue foundation Yeah. <laughs>
1: Fundamentally in yeah. your character. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I, I often um, marvel at the lack of responsibility <laughs> uh, that many people have in terms of why kids... Go astray and do crazy shit, get right. into drugs, commit murders, do all the things that they do. It's always, it always is the responsibility is deflected out into right. the environment, right? And into society and the different. I always have that this half, have.
0: Jo- half joking idea that if you arrested the parents the crime a child <laughs> right. did, it would change. And, and That's here's the amazing. thing. And the, and, the, and the person who is, say, the black sheep of the, of the family or the scapegoat of the family, it's usually a healthy response, an unhealthy response. Uh, to a dysfunctional system, right? Yeah. And it yeah. kills me. It kills me, man. I've watched, I watched so much bad parenting happen, even as adults and people, they'll take on these beliefs. Some will say, well, I was always a bad, I was a bad kid. I'm like, how are you a bad kid? It's like, I was just always out of control, running around the house screaming. Like, no, you were a kid. Your parents couldn't handle you. So they called it bad to control it. You were a normal kid. You weren't a bad kid, but even growing up 30 years, actually believing the story, just like we're talking about being hypnotized by the culture being hypnotized by your, you know, parental story. I was going to ask you about that. It's a, it's a good, it comes a little later. In yeah, the there, sequence. yeah go, go ahead and walk by. Some people want to walk by,
1: yeah. It's uh, It comes a little later in the sequence of my questions, but one of the things I'm curious about is, especially with the boy, I think, being a former boy, is how do you discipline, you know, your son, 10, or what's a healthy way to discipline a boy without, you know, emasculating them or stifling their wildness and their inherent need to run around and shoot guns and break stuff and throw rocks and do stuff that little boys do. You know, I feel like when I was a kid, when I was out of the house, I went wild and caught snakes and did all that stuff. When I visited my dad, we shot guns and fished and did boy stuff, just natural you go back in time and look at a hunter gatherer boy. I did some of that, but because my mom was maybe because she was a female or had different ideas. Um, some of that behavior, like owning big knives and things like that out of her care for me was not allowed. And, you know, uh, I think a lot of parents, especially as I said, with boys kind of stifle what makes them grow up and have a sense of autonomy and knowing who they are and being well-rounded and healthy. So when a kid gets out of line What? what's the um, I guess what I'm looking for is like where do you draw the line and, and your perspective in terms of like how wild you allow your kid to get right and what do you do when they cross the line and get too wild without shaming them
0: right yeah I mean I mean, just a couple things and get in the premise it doesn't matter what the gender of the child is okay right it doesn't matter what they're playing with right like literally oh, okay. Okay. you know, you know what I mean like, yeah, yeah. like I always even separate from what the culture saying I've just always felt this way it's like whatever it's like when ten saw sees ingrid putting on makeup he loved like was into makeup we're like cool we got a little toy makeup set to play with then when he saw uh someone cleaning the house like then he wants cleaning stuff and he get him fun clean whatever like i just support whatever he's into period right got it like so i support whatever he's into and then as far as the line goes like it's funny i never think of discipline i know there's an old school like you got to discipline whatever i just think of like teaching right i'm never disciplined i'm just kind of teaching cool so so but let's let's Go back. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. And again, I can talk, my son is not a teenager, he's three and a half, but I want to talk a little bit about teenage too. But let's just start chronologically. So let's start with before you're born. And again, there's a lot of health stuff, but we're going to talk about the psychological stuff. And one of the core wounds that people have is being unwanted as a child, right? So many people, uh, whether they're forever, it could, ranges from dad found out mom was pregnant and left her, Right. Or it ranges from just like you are an accident. It ranges from, uh, you know, we don't know how to handle you. This core feeling of, of being unwanted creates a great, great big shame wound that people carry throughout their life. You're nodding because it sounds familiar. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And mine was just made up. Right. right? Yeah. I never actually got those messages from my parents, but I made them right. up. And, and you, can, you can make them up. So this, is, this yeah. is what I did. So before he was born, uh, like I wrote him a letter. And I said, you know, dear 10... I want to tell you that, you know, on this one day, like, I just, I'm so excited to have a child. Uh, You know, and I wanted to have you so much, and you know, and uh, we made this decision to have you and we're so excited for you to come in the world and let him know, like, what our mind state was uh, at his conception and as we excitedly wait for him to come into the world. Then I folded it up, put in an envelope, stamped it, mailed it to him at our address, and now it's in a safe deposit box for him because later... When you grow up, he might feel like he said. He might make up that feeling that he was unwanted later. And here, no matter what happens, he has a solid foundation of love to stand on in the world. You know what I mean? And a parent can say, no, I always loved you and you are wanted. In your core, you don't believe that. Here's like that beautiful...
1: Proof. I, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I remember you telling me that, and I was like, "God, that is the coolest thing yeah. for a parent to do. That is so uh, powerful. Yeah. Yeah, That's I, just neat." And don't you keep yeah. a journal where I, you? I do, I do. Where you write to him on a <laughs> yeah, an, yeah, report do. on his on his yeah, yeah. progress? I'll
0: tell you, uh, Yeah, I'll tell you about the journal. I want to tell you where that. You know, I just thought of that. I realized where the idea of the letter came from because it came from one day someone was telling me that they grew up with their mom. Their mom was telling them that their dad was a jerk, their dad hated them, The dad didn't want them, The dad was, you know, because a lot of times people will vilify the other parent, but often what they're trying to do is be right and push the other parent away. It's a common, sadly common story. Half the, I don't, I don't, know, the, I don't know the numbers, but let's just say 25 to 50% of people who think that they were unwanted by the other parent were maybe wanted, but the parents gave up on trying to be with them because it was so, because the other parent was so difficult if that makes sense. Yeah. You still don't give yeah. up in your shop. But the point being, they later at age 25 kind of found their dad. They sat down and the, dad, and the dad said, I never stopped thinking about you and loving you. Every year you know, every year on your birthday, I took like a newspaper for that day and I wrote a letter to you. And here's a scrapbook of your birthday every day. And they just started crying because all of a sudden that big hole got filled with love. And all of a sudden they just saw the truth that they really did have a father who loved them and thought about them all the time. And, and the, the proof was—you can't deny, like the—you can't fake that.
1: We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. There's one question I get over and over again from listeners, and that is, Luke, if you could recommend one product or lifestyle practice to really improve your health without breaking the bank, what would it be? And I have to say, blocking blue light at night has got to be my number one hack. I think a lot of our problems uh, in health really come down to being completely domesticated, cut off from natural light, sun, different temperatures, the earth, right? So... If we want to live indoors and turn on the lights at night and go out into the world where there's blue light, aka just really bright, white, unnatural light after dark, uh, it's real easy to fix that. All you have to do is get some Blue Blocks glasses. You know, studies have clearly shown that blue and green light at night is a super potent suppressor of melatonin. But the guys over at Blue Blocks have the Sleep Plus lenses that are the most effective blue and green light blockers for after dark use proven to block 100% of the light in this range, which is super important. So these guys do prescription glasses, reading glasses, non-prescription glasses at a tremendous value. If you want to check it out, go over to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, blueblocks.com. If you want to get hooked up with a 15% discount, you can use the code lifestylist. So the code is lifestylist. The website is blueblocks.com. They have a variety of different styles. And uh, as I said, this is one of my top recommendations, something you can do to really impact your health without spending a ton of money. Just get in the habit of making it dark at night when it's supposed to be dark. And thankfully, companies like these guys are making glasses that don't look ridiculous like they used to when I started out (laughs) trying to block that light at night. So blueblocks.com, the code is Lifestylist. And now back to the interview. I recently went to visit my dad who's uh, 76 or something. He lives in Colorado and it's getting up there as is my mom. They're the same right. age. And I've always wanted to bring that video camera right there and essentially kind of record a podcast with my dad just for <laughs> personal use or right. to pass on to my kids, their kids, whatever. And one of the things I asked him about was, what was the feeling you had when you found out my mom was pregnant? And right. just be fucking honest. Right. You know, and what was it like for you when my mom took me at three years old and moved to California and you lost us and really just man to man not me right. as a little boy not me as a son but just like hey I'm a guy you're a guy we're both humans explained to me that experience and it was so powerful to get his point of view on how hard that was and how he didn't know how to relate to me cuz right. I was in this California culture and he wanted to take me hunting and I hated it and just from his perspective of him trying to love me and not knowing how but really hearing from him and I didn't have letters but I right. believed him he said oh my god you know I was obsessed with you I was so proud of you and loved right. you so much and It was so meaningful yeah. for me, you yeah. know, because it's like, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old now. Right. And still, you can tell by my tears, yeah. there's still a part of me that, that little didn't boy. know that.
0: Yeah, that little boy who just thought he was loved. Yeah, and, and yeah.
1: I never got you know any clear indication that I was not wanted by him or loved by him. But I don't know. He wasn't there. They were divorced. I saw him less, whatever it was. He was pretty rough kind of guy, too. And who knows where I got the message, but to hear from him like, uh, no... I've always loved you so much and you're perfect and you were always wanted and all of that stuff it was really meaningful. So I encourage anyone listening, like I love what you're doing where you're documenting and creating these letters and the journal and all of this stuff because these are the core wounds right. that drive us into all the dysfunctional behavior that we do. Yeah. So, so, far, so I mean, every personal yeah. development thing I've done, Tony Robbins, Hoffman, therapy, 12 steps, whatever, they all just go back to this. Right. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. And then your life gets fucked up
0: right? because and, of that and, misconception. And, and when you, once you realize that everybody walking around it is walking around with the wound of, uh, you know, of like, I felt unloved, I was overcontrolled, I was, you know, abused. Mo- most abuse has, is either this. It's either someone is disempowered. Disempowering is, you know, could be physical abuse, neglect, uh, criticized, or falsely empowered. Falsely empowered is parents are alcoholics. You have to take over the family. Mom has a horrible relation with that. With she makes you the, the, her, her emotional partner. So usually everyone's walking around disempowered or falsely empowered and with that one of those two core wounds. Um, so I want to mention the, the, the journal idea. Man, there's, so much, there's so much to say, but once you realize that when people are reacting, there's that, I think I said on your last podcast, but where there's reactivity, there's a wound. So if you want to find your own stuff, you just see where, what you overreact to you get into that survival situation you get angry you shut down get pissed off you make up a turn someone into an enemy but you can really once you realize that it's just we're all just the walking wounded you can have empathy this great cartoonist named Chris Ware probably one of the most Genius cartoonist, uh, anime, like, uh, graphic novel writers in the world. He once said to me when I was interviewing him that, like, you should have like people should have little patches of what they look like as children, <laughs> like, uh, like buttons on their clothing oh, so you can have some genius. empathy for them when you see them. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, I don't have the buttons on people, but I do my best to build that to, to see yeah, yeah, to see because it's funny. Even when you see, like, a, say, a group of people in a conference like this that are all adults. Not much has really changed from a room full of kids. Right. Like the human needs are still the same and they're still being expressed in many of the same
0: ways. Yeah. Even though chronologically and physically we're older. No, but exactly. we are yeah. still the same five-year-old, yeah. four-year-old, three-year-old than we were. Right. And at a 10th school, when you see like three and four-year-olds just who are like bullies, you meet their dad, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Right. I, see, I see what that is. Right. Like a friend of mine, uh, Adam von Rothfelder, is a health guy. Uh, oh, yeah, I know, I know. yeah, you know, I've sure yeah. mentioned yeah. his whole name, but he said, uh, "We were talking about this. He said i 'I've never met uh, a child I didn't like, a parent who I also who I liked, of a child who I didn't <laughs> <Right>. like.' <laughs> yeah, <right>. yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean that that's it. But so, so I wanted to mention the journal idea. Yeah. Okay, we might have to do part two in a minute. Okay. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. okay. That, uh, um, so the journal is this. So most parents have tell you the same three stories about your childhood. That's all they know and all they remember. And obviously, you're not re- remembering or recording things for the first, like, some people have early memories, but the first, like, three or four years, like, maybe you have one little snapshot in your head. So, what I decided to do was well, first of all, you know, you're born, you kind of, you're, you're, you don't, the architecture of your brain is not built yet. It's entirely wired together, almost entirely wired together by those, especially the first three years, like, children are building new, you know, neural connections at like an insane amount. Like, and a three year old has, more than twice as many like neural connections as you and I do. A three-year-old because they're going to, that's wired together that fast. And then after that, while they're still growing, a process called pruning takes place and the stuff they don't need goes away. That becomes the box you live in when you're stuck in some way of thinking. That's because that's what happened. You built all this shit, the shit you didn't need throughout and now you're stuck in your fucking box of how you think the world is and what people are like and all that story. So I thought, first of all, I want to give him all the me- all his memories. Like I want the gift of the memories that he doesn't remember. Right, so I've kept a journal religiously, like every day of his life. It's literally—he's three and a half now. It's probably like twelve hundred pages, single spaced. Wow! Every story, every experience. Someone's like, "When your child start walking, I just search walking. Like, oh, it's that this date. Here's the story oh, of it. Oh my when god! When were his first words? So all cool. those things, and kind of bulleted out. Kind of, I did it another uh, way where I could just remove it from this. So, so maybe when he's. I, at the top of it, I said, hey, write down all your memories of your life before you read this because I don't want you to, to influence your own memories. And then he could kind of read his whole story. Um, but then secondly, I also said everything going on in the background. Uh, what's going on with Inger and I uh, and what led to us, us, us separating, maybe bad parenting choices. Times when, you know, I'm always careful. Children are sponges, right? So if I have a lot of anxiety, say, um, you know, I won't, be, I won't be around him as a child because they just absorb that. Uh, but here, everything that I thought was uh, could be possibly wounding because you can't be perfect. So everything in there is all in the, in the background. So it was, he has this not just his stories, which are stories, but his emotional DNA, raw and honest, just everything. And then, so there's three levels of that. There's the experiences he had. There's the emotional world that he kind of grew up in. And then third is what's between the lines that I don't see. It's kind of all in there wow. uh, for, for him. Oh, that's so yeah, cool. Yeah, it's amazing. It's so fun because you forget that stuff. You forget what happened a week ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for
1: sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing Like with interviewing my parents and later in right. life. I mean, one of the things I'm curious about is what what other family members around mm-hmm. that I don't really right. remember and right. family history and lineage and things that I was into and you I'm, know, forgetting that I worship Bruce Lee and just weird right. stuff like but, that. But you, imagine, know, you get a flash yeah. of memory
0: like, oh, yeah. Imagine when what, he's, whatever possession... Whatever, uh, whatever he is and he's in that uh, profession. He looks back, he's like, oh, that's when I first got interested in that. Or when right. his personality is like that. Well, when did I first become like that? I'll write down what his personality is like on each month and what's becoming. Oh, that's when I was like that. So it's really fun. And the, and the choices I make, because uh, I'm not saying my parenting decisions are right. I'm doing the best I know with everything I know today. Right? And generations have different philosophies of parenting. Back, you know, the, the rod, you know, go get, it, go get a switch boy. You know yeah. get give me that switch you come here you choose the switch and I'm going to beat you with that switch that you pick yourself like that was like a that was like a that was normal dude, that was normal like you to- in you're some, in some the, cultures, yeah I, the instrument with which your you know father now beat you with right and if you cry I'll beat you harder so you repress all your emotions right 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 so and that was good parenting then
1: Do you remember the moment when you found out your wife was pregnant
0: Yes but i have it written down perfectly in my journal by the way you do so i have my memory but then i literally like have it written down like that that moment but uh but yeah no i remember like w- it was funny because usually i'm so used to taking a pregnancy test and hoping that it's negative <laughs> with right, somebody right, right. so i remember it was like the first time taking or doing a pregnancy test and like hoping it was positive that was the first that's cool <laughs> right? It's a very funny you get anchored the other side and then it was negative and i was so disappointed but i knew like I knew just I just knew she was pregnant. I knew that I knew that was it. I knew the time she was con- ten was conceived. I just knew it. And so I'm like I'm like let's just wait a few more days and do it. And then it was positive. And we still have we saved the pregnancy test. I feel like it was the first evidence of ten. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I
1: know the feeling of wanting them to be negative. That's why I was just curious, you know, because I think you know obviously when it's not a planned thing, most right. men. Right. I'm sure some women. Uh, are like oh this sucks and that sucks for the kid right. later on right. you know no one you know you deal with it I guess in the ways you, in which you deal with it but no one wants to be an accident you hope that the right. parents are in love and that the love making was conscious and intentional sure. and you came out that's of it. that that
0: glorious union you know that's the first moment of emotional truth when both your parents look at that pregnancy test see a plus or two lines or whatever it is. And what feeling do they have when they see that? That's your future. <laughs> <Right>?
1: <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, it is.
0: It's the crystal ball of uh, how your personality is going to be shaped. Right. Is one happy? are they is one happy, one not happy, are they confused and deciding what to do? Or are two, you know, your two pro creators, creators like overjoyed. Right. 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 And that just shapes your emotional DNA.
1: And where'd you come up with your son's name, Ten?
0: Uh oh, so what it came from? Like, and sometimes I like to tell people, oh, it's from like Tennessee Williams or Alfred Lord Tennyson. But where it's really from is uh, you know, when you're first in love and you're joking around, like about talk about baby names early on and like, you know, you're having sex and you talk about pick all what you're so as a joke I kind of she said, What would your baby name be? i like I would definitely call my baby and I try to think of something ludicrous. So I said a uh, tennis shoe. Oh, you could if you just go around the back there, unless you wanna say hi to everybody. Yeah, we're we're doing this interview uh, outside and uh in a public area. Yeah, we're so, we're we're at a hotel, just acting like we belong here. Right, But we've been indoors, so we just wanted to come outside and be in the fresh air. Yeah, we're, we're we're shooting gorilla style, <laughs> which is often how I do it. So so I said, "What about tennis shoe?" And we're like, "We're as a joke." And so we joked around. And then when she was pregnant, she's like, "So what are we gonna name the baby?" I'm like, "Of course, it's got to be tennis shoe." And more else I love? And I was just bluffing, but down to the last minute, I was pretending like we'd call it tennis shoe. It's like a boy named Sue, right? right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, gonna yeah. make you tough So we called tennis shoe. And then we started thinking names, and we're like, you know. Looking at names and everything just sounded like, you know, just boring. And eventually we just decided on calling them just 10, T E N N. And you, you you work it through. You think, are there any ways you can be made fun of? What are the ways the 10 can backfire? Do the initials spell out any rude words? Right. I mean, kids will find a way to make fun of you any, anyway, but at least you don't want to make it too easy for them.
1: Yeah. If your name sucks, that's difficult.
0: Right. The, and, I, and then you get to school in Malibu and everyone's like, Amethyst, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, Crystal am- Ambrose we- Rose, right, like, everyone's right. got a weird name, like, just should have called him, like, Dave. <laughs> right, yeah, that would be,
1: the, he'd be the outlier from just having a normal name. <laughs> yeah. I remember a kid used to call me Luke Puke. And exactly. I wasn't terribly offended, but I was annoyed because it doesn't technically rhyme. It'd have to be Luke Pook.
0: It's right. like, Puke doesn't rhyme with Luke, it's a different <laughs> right. vowel sound. You guys <laughs> right. are idiots, so right. it didn't actually bother me. I was like, come right. am up with something better. Totally. Um, I and mean, it's funny too, a lot of people think their trauma is that I was bullied at school. And I would argue that what happened at home set you up to be bullied at school. In other words, like people think, well, my wound is I was just bullied at school. That's why I'm like, but I'm like, what at home set you up to respond to the bullying? You know, bullies, they look for the weakness, they look for someone who's gonna, you know, overreact. They look for someone who is uh, not gonna fight back. What set you up for that for that at home first?
1: Interesting. Yeah. What books or experts have you, I know you're an avid reader, your library is insane. Uh, What books or experts have you gleaned skills or perspectives from that you're implementing and finding
0: success I mean, the simple answer is really absolutely none. Really? (laughs) And, And I'm a big reader and learner. Yeah. But I haven't, Maybe I should write the book because I haven't found the I haven't found the book yet. Like you know, you read the you read the kind of what you read the books for the practical things, the what to expect and we're expecting, like about what are normal childhood milestones and things like that. But for the what what I'm talking about, it was my own emotional healing. Oh, but ironically, ironically, so it was just like this is all the stuff I learned. If you're learning about your own trauma, you learn what creates the trauma, right? So you're like don't do that. That's funny. (laughs) So you're like
1: uh, reverse engineering your own childhood and anything that fucked you up, you're omitting from your skill set. Right. But for
0: for, 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 for those who have the pathology that for them to trust information, it needs a source, which is just a pathology. All information has some sort of fucking source, right? Well, what's your source? You know, most people say, what's your source? really means I don't agree with it. That's really what it means, right? But, but, There is a book by Dan Siegel, uh, the uh, kind of scientist, brain scientist, uh, great writer, uh, called Parenting from the Inside Out. And his actually philosophy is if you want to become a great parent, become conscious of your own wounds and your own trauma and recognize that. And that will make you a great parent. It's all about doing your own work. Speaking
1: of being a great parent and your own wounds, something that you and I have talked about and we talked about in our prior recording was (laughs) this concept of enmeshment where your parent sort of has no boundaries and takes right. you on as a surrogate spouse and is too close to you in ways right. that are inappropriate for your level of maturity. Having experienced a degree of that myself, right. and I know you have. How do you draw the line in terms of being your kid's best friend
0: right. and being their parent? Is that something well, that comes naturally no, or you, do you have some, some cognitive your process? You're not your kid's best friend. You're their parent. <clears throat> get, a, get, get another best friend who's age appropriate. You're not your kid's best friend and you're not always going to be your kid's friend. And that's cool. So let me tell. Let me explain. Let me let me let me explain some things that might help some parents of kids of any age. <clears throat> There's a process. First of all, I want to talk about a couple of things emotionally when a kid kid grows up, because I, I I see the airport for someone who understands childhood trauma. The airport is the most painful place to be, probably for physical and like psychological health. Right, just the junk people are eating and being fed with no other option, and then the things parents are doing to their children. First thing is. Like, you just people over, a, a young child that's one or two doesn't have a developed prefrontal cortex. So you try to tell the child behave yourself, sit down, be quiet, because you're worried the child is embarrassing you with other people around. That's actually a form of enmeshment. My needs to not be seen as a bad parent or have the shame of others are more important than your childhood needs, which are to be free. And spontaneous. <laughs> Not to interrupt, but that really yeah. happens with my
1: dog. Uh huh. She'll do crazy shit, and I feel embarrassed. Right? Right. You know, I've like I, I let her loose at the beach, right. and she runs up to people and like sprays fucking sand in their right. face. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm a bad
0: person. Right. I'm a
1: loser. Everyone right. hates
0: me because my dog's being a dog, right? And the simple answer is: don't take your dog to the beach. Don't take your child to a nice restaurant till if you're going to be embarrassed by it, right? Just don't take your child there till you feel like they're ready. If you're going to be like that, but really trying to over control a child or talk to a child the way you might talk to like a, you know, a pet that's gotten out of control. It's like, it's insane. So the first thing I see is people just trying to get, a, when you, when a child is sitting there, a young child sitting there perfectly mannered and quiet, like, no, that's not a good child. That child's going to have some fucking issues growing up. That's like a, a traumatized, over controlled, overdeveloped prefrontal cortex child who hasn't been allowed to be spontaneous. And that's one of the rights. It's like the, what, the childhood is. is... First of all, 10 my greatest teacher. We're talking about that stuff I do. Like, he does everything right. And all I have to do is not fuck it up. Examples. When he goes to pick up something, he doesn't bend over with his back. He just squats. He sits and oh, squats, really? right? He, when he's oh, going to the bathroom, cool. he's like, he does everything right. He's, when he speaks, it's his full voice, right? The strength of a child crying. Like, they have their full voice. We lose our voice because we're told to shut up, be quiet. Like, we, we lose all that stuff. And, and just his level of joy and happiness. But here's the coolest thing about a child. And I always think about it for myself. A child can be really, really, through a total, total tantrum, right? Be really or be really upset and angry. The next second, they're like fine and laughing. And so how can they shift from this emotional and then be fine and laughing and then be sad and upset? But how can they, but when a person is upset, even when whatever they're upset about ends, they stay stuck in the story of why they're upset or depressed yeah. and stay yeah. in it for weeks, days, weeks, months, years sometimes. And so you learned it's like if you are not attached to the story of why you're sad or upset, you get to move on to the next emotion. Wow, that's so interesting.
1: Yeah. You're so right. Kids do have the ability to do that, to oscillate like that. Yeah. And yeah. it's once we get them attached to I've the had story. I meditate of it. for 20 years. <laughs> right. right. <No> <laughs>
0: at that. Yeah. And like, yeah. someone's being loving, like, no, I'm mad at you. Right? right. Relationships are people, bad relationships are people stuck in a story. So you have to go start a new story with somebody else. And right. you get stuck in that one too. If it's you haven't like done your when work. You,
1: it's like that thing when you're in an argument with someone, and then at some point you have this little chink in your armor, you know, a, a, a crack of light kind of sneaks in this dark room, and you're like, "Oh my god, we're being so fucking dumb. This right. means nothing. This is so right. stupid." And it you is, just start laughing, right? When it could have gone the other way, there's that razor's edge. Yeah, kids have the ability to kind of do that. Yeah, they go, and, they process whatever they're experiencing, and then oh, now I'm playing. Now I'm moving on
0: to the next thing. Right. And what what is what is mindfulness? But trying to, teach, trying to teach people someone to be in the present, you're just trying to get back to where a child is, but with all your adult knowledge, with all your historical baggage and your future projections, how can you get to that present place? A child's already there. Like, it's so interesting because I think... Like, often, they don't have to
1: work at it and right. build a
0: practice,
1: I'm doing air quotes, practice <laughs> right. around mindfulness or being present. It's just the way kind of a wild...
0: They have to do it to, a un- wild person to is unlearn before the stuff they get you're teaching them. They have to learn... to. So think about this. Um... That when you start teaching a child the words like ball, you know, uh, you know, spoon, sock, what do you? You're not really teaching child language. You're teaching them separation. Oh wow! Right, because they're, they're just the world is one place. It's just one thing in one place. And then you pull one thing out of that world and say that's a ball. You're teaching them separation. Whoa, right? we're like entraining them into duality. Yeah. That's trippy. Right? Whoa, I never thought about that. Yeah. I, I, but I thought, even as I was doing it, I think, I guess he has to learn this stuff, but he also has to unlearn it later. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah.
1: Totally. Wow, that's funny. Yeah, it's um, really interesting. What about when, all right, I have this thing and, I, and I'm working <laughs> on it and I was telling it, yeah. I actually explained this to someone the other day and they're like, uh, that's called codependency. But I have really high empathy, right? right, so I just I don't know for some reason, I just feel people probably because I was really close to my mom when I was a kid, and I mirrored her feelings a lot, and there was right. you know some closeness there in ways that maybe weren't that healthy in retrospect um all well meaning right but you know, I see things now that um, I couldn't see then, but I have this thing when I'm really close to someone if they're like super pissed at me, mm-hmm. I can't just be okay with that or if someone's really really upset it's very difficult for me to have autonomy and just go, cool, they're going through that. I'm going to stay happy, stay in my own energy field, my own space, and just allow them to have that experience. I think if I had a kid that I really loved and they were screaming at me, I fucking hate you, daddy," or whatever their version of that is, I would have a hard time just going, ah, ha, ha, just going about my business and not feeling like, responsible for them feeling that way or trying to fix it or how... Do you yeah, so here's, it, here's the line. Listen. Do you find it hard to be okay
0: when right. your kid's not okay? Listen to your words. It comes back to the allow thing okay. that you said okay. earlier. Okay. Because like empathy, and I have some questions about whether empathy really exists or is a projection to some degree anyway. But empathy, okay, I feel that you're, you know, I can, I, I, uh, I can kind of resonate with your upsetness is different than like, I need you to like me. Okay. <laughs> right? So in other words... Right. You can empathize with me being upset or, or or sad. You know, you can empathize with that. Like, but there's a difference. But codependence is, and you go like three layers deep. You actually go through that. So one is empathy, which is I empathize. I can I can feel a little bit what you're feeling. Codependence is you're sad, so no, I'm sad. You're happy, so no, I'm happy. Yes. And that I mean, that, just think of that. That that's like you're tied together. So that literally is like the image of uh. two things that are codependent because I'm de- all my I just get controlled by your moods, which. I mean, which happens a lot in some people with children too. If you don't have good boundaries, this is boundary work. It's all boundary okay. work. So you can be empathic with boundaries, right? That's what you need to do. But I'm going to give you your third level on a second. But some people with children, so this will be a challenge if your children's upset and crying, and then that triggers you into being uh, stressed out or anxious or to, to try to stop that from happening because you feel like they're so sad. All you do is make them cry and upset more because they're feeding off your anxiety, and then they'll never be quiet versus like really having a boundary, and this is real empathy. But let me give you the third level. So you're so level one is you f- you feel it. Level two level is level one to
1: be kind of just healthy. Level two,
0: but yeah, where you're not a sociopath right. and you're like, wow, I, I can kind of feel where you are. Right. Level two with you is you go there. Yeah. Then level three is you have to make it okay. Yeah, I have to fix it. <laughs> right. Right. I mean,
1: when I'm in relationships, I have a propensity to do that. Even you know my business partner now, who right. I used to be in a relationship with years ago. If she texts me as like, hey, can we talk later? I immediately, I swear to God, that's the way my mind works. Right. I immediately think she's pissed off at me and I have to fix it. Right.
0: So so I, and, I, uh, I can't relax right. if she's pissed at me about right. something. And, 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 and chances are that strategy doesn't even work. <laughs> yeah, of course, <laughs> right? no, yeah, of not. course not. And, and then I works. call her
1: and she's like, oh, I just wanted to get your opinion on this <laughs> right. desk I was going to buy or something. And I'm like, really? Right. Which shows you it's not really empathy.
0: No, projection. no, it's not. It's so, not. But, and, back, and the people who have none of these, who don't have the empathy, then it's just a wall. So you don't want a wall. You don't want to be boundaryless. You want this kind of porous boundary where stuff comes in, but it doesn't affect or control you. And you're not going to be okay until you fix it, which 100% comes from that enmeshment. Like I have to take care of the parent. Right. It leads to all the problems. So like right. that's the journey to take. So when it comes to your kid being hyper
1: emotional or having an outburst or something like that, or just needing to cry or they stub their knee right. or whatever the thing is, uh, what's the deal with comforting them and trying to get them to feel better and fix them versus just allowing them to have their space to work it out unto themselves. That's the thing yeah. I always trip when I watch people parent and they try to rescue the kid and help them to feel better. And oh, right. you fell down. Oh, and right. make a big deal and get them to stop
0: crying yeah. versus some parents just being more right, think of how that works. I got There's so many answers to this because <laughs> you know no, 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 no. It's they're, they're, and there's it's a strange. level between, say, physical pain and then emotional pain, like a tantrum. Okay. But let's let's go with. I've tra- I trained myself. It's hard when your child uh, falls down not to have a reaction, like especially when they're little, because when they're little, like they're, there's about like a four month period where they're constantly trying to kill themselves, right? Like they're just gonna <laughs> crawl off anything and walk, you know. Um, but. There's a, by the way, is a good book actually on parenting called The Continuum Concept. It's a pretty cool book about a, a woman who kind of lived with it where they raise the children more natural. And they're like, so couple a couple philosophies, a couple thoughts. I have shit, I have so much to say on this. But the first thing is I train myself not to react when my child falls. Because what happens? Is the parent reacts and the child learns to react. So if he falls or he trips, like I don't, I just life goes on. Like, you know, like I just and and you'll see, like other kids will fall and cry, my child will fall and I'll just get back up, right? But it's scary for the parents. You have to learn to repress that startle reaction and you just sort of like, cool. And then eventually he learns he's not going to cry or she's not going to cry unless they're actually hurt or sometimes they're just really so shocked and surprised by it, they'll cry, right? And then, um, so that's the first thing is if you make it about you if it's you're startled every time they're going to get startled. They're mirrors. Funny thing. You were talking about discipline earlier. You can discipline and teach all you want. It doesn't fucking matter because they're watching you it's your way of being that controls who they are so for example i might teach my kids something uh, about fire being hot so what is this response going to be next time when we're fighting will you like that's a fire Dada. it's hot don't touch the fire he will model the teaching versus oh, wow. absorbing the information so they're modeling your way of being wow right wow
1: that's profound
0: yeah so people just think if I discipline them, they're just learning to discipline. They're not actually learning the 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 lesson you're trying to teach them with the discipline. I mean, people know that. Like, anyone growing up, you probably got always got punished for the same fucking thing. Did that punishment change you from doing that thing? No.
1: Yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, in my case, it made me do it more. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. So it's not even an
0: effective technique. like to torture myself and my parents. Right. And then that's another idea. The idea that like punishment stops a behavior, you know, especially with a teenager, like is insane. Um, so, so that's one sort of a. Then, so basically, my thought with a, uh, and there are different kinds of tantrums that a child will have. One tantrum is when they can, they're open to consoling. Another one is where there's just a screaming wreck, and you got to give them that space. Um, but usually, my idea is it's like a car. It's like if you're trying to change the direction someone's walking, and a car's driving in, uh, you kind of go parallel with them, and then you can slowly sort of turn a little bit. If you try to just t-bone them, the car is not going to go in another du- direction. I'm not trying to change it. So the first thing is. So many parents, and I think most people here don't do this and get this by now, try to make somebody feel I guess not try to make somebody feel better. If you're trying to teach it, think about this as with your addict past. If a child's sad, angry, hurt, upset, and you're trying to make the child feel better, they're learning to medicate their emotions. Right?
1: Instead yeah, of to sit, yeah.
0: it's okay to be fucking sad. It's okay to be angry. It's really okay. It's not a bad thing. This whole happiness culture is insane. I'm in, I'm in the acceptance culture. Fuck that happiness culture.
1: Absolutely, yeah. amen. Because yeah. listen, if if a doctor doesn't medicate them for having feelings and labeling it as some sort of mental right. disorder, mm-hmm. not to say that there aren't real disorders, but right. many of them I think are misdiagnosed right. based on my observation. If a doctor doesn't do it, the kid's going to find a way to do it, right. whether it's video games or you know later on drugs or whatever. Right. It is.
0: If, if you're in the, it's like if it, like if this is. Fucking no one knows normal. This is normal, and this is like depression. If you're in the in the extreme, uh, it's just the extremes that maybe need to be dealt with. But anything off off the bearing is okay, anyway. So my thing is to like validate the emotion. Like this goes for relationships too. Actually, it's like you don't have to fix it. The person just has to feel understood about what they're feeling. You know, so when Ingrid is kind of upset at me about something, and uh, and I it isn't you hear it as a request to change. You can just understand and validate. They're they're feeling about it, so I really just validate. Okay, so you're angry because you can't play with that knife, you know. I understand you're angry about that because yeah, knife looks like shiny and fun, and you want to play with that. (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a cool dad. I'm like, I
1: I want you as a dad. That's cool. That's cool shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's you know one of my favorite uh, books. I mean, it's half psychology and half uh, spirituality. Is David R. Hawkins? I think I turned you on to some of his audio stuff years ago, and. He wrote a lot of books that are deeply complex on non-duality and they're spiritual, but they're really kind of hard to grasp. And then before he died, I think he kind of knew like, hey, let me leave some breadcrumbs for the non-intellectual spiritual seekers. He wrote a book called Letting Go. And the premise of the whole book, well, it's called Letting Go, The Pathway of Surrender. Right. And the entire premise of the book is what's making anyone unhappy in their life is suppressing their emotions and the fastest way through any uncomfortable sensation or feeling that you're having is to allow it to 100% be there and just saturate yourself in it. And you'd be amazed at how fast it it goes away. And it's really true. It's like when you stub your toe and you're like, "Ah, fuck,
0: it actually, if you just stop and breathe and just let it hurt, it's gone in like seven seconds. Because the goal is not to never be sad; it's to raise your capacity for handling sadness. To raise your capacity for handling uncomfortable emotions so you can actually be cool with it. If you don't learn to have, if you have no capacity for it, you'll turn to the drug, whether it's like, you know, an actual drug, like an opiate or work or sex or whatever it is. Yeah. So, so, um, uh, and again, by the way, you can never be a perfect parent. It's impossible because you're a human being and you're imperfect. So the other piece is just to really recognize, you know, you won't be perfect, but to always sort of If I ever do anything wrong, I'll say, you know, Dada did that and that was wrong. And here's why, whether he understands or not, I try to repair. I wanted to ask you about
1: that. So what happens when you really choke and, you you know, something, Mm. you you react and something slips out of your mouth that's hurtful or that you regret? Like, how do you, how do you make amends to a three-year-old in a way that you understand? Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: I think I'll just say like, I think I'll just say like, you know, Dada did that and that was wrong. I think huge wound is when a parent tries to be perfect and they're righteous. They're always right. They can never be contradicted everything they did was perfect. What happens is people call that spiritual abuse because the parent becomes like God, right? Infallible, always right. And these are the hardest people to work with psychologically because for them to question that the parent may have been wrong is like blasphemy. You know, oh, a deep because level. because they have
1: this sense of omniscience.
0: Yeah, and, and it's like, it's like a God huge, right, figure. and it's just, a, it's a betrayal of the entire family system to, that if anything they did was not perfect, it's a, they're the hardest to work with and the ones who get triggered and leave and say, this is just blaming your parents. None of this, none of this is about blaming your parents. It's about understanding yourself. There's no blame. Everyone's, most people are doing the best they can with the resources they have. But you just got to look at your life like it's a movie and say, well, that was the cause. What was the effect? It's just cause and effect.
1: I like that you're communicating that so early on, because in my experience, I had to become older than my parents were right. when they raised me right, in order for me to sort of see from their perspective, right. oh, they were just a couple, they're 27-year-old fucking knuckleheads. Right. Yeah. If, if I would have had a kid at 27, I would have been a disaster of a <laughs> right. parent, you know? Right. And when you get older, you look and go, oh, they were, you know, they were just human. They weren't these... These, you know, I didn't have this ideal of my parents to be flawless or not make mistakes or anything like that. As you get older, you go, Oh God, I totally get right. why they were the way they were. And they right. did things in ways that were less than optimal at times. But it's cool to be able to, I think, as you grow up with your child to be right. able to communicate like, Hey, I just totally screwed up. Yeah. I'm human right. too. I'm your dad, but I'm not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not God. So don't expect me to be. And I think there's going to be inherent sort of ongoing forgiveness Right. within the context of the relationship as you, you grow and mature right. together. And
0: here's a key thing for parents. I was talking to somebody who lives in the neighborhood and she was, uh, you know, has a great career and her kids were over one day, they're adults, they're 18, 20, you know, 20. And they were like, mom, you're never there for us. You're never around for us. She's like, and she was telling me how great of a parent she was because she's like, I sat them down. I grabbed that photo album. I'm like, there's us in Monaco. There's us in France. <laughs> that's us together here. And so you're, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, and I looked at her I'm like, you just blew it. You just blew it. Your kids came to you and they told you their truth and you made them wrong. They won't be open to you again. And just all they want to do is be listened and be heard. And so even if you don't agree, you can listen and hear that that's their, that you can listen and hear that that's their experience and validate their experience because their experience is true to them. You you have two kids who grew up in the exact same household, it doesn't even matter what you experienced. It's what you thought you experienced.
1: That's, you know, that's the weird thing I've observed um, in terms of looking at siblings That sort of, you know, one goes down the path, the right path, one goes down the left path, meaning, you know, one gets into trouble, juvenile delinquent drugs, etc. Same parents, same general experience growing up, similar age. And then one kind of goes off and does well in school and is integrated and seemingly happy and goes off to college and is successful in life by the metric that we determine success. And I've always looked at that, like, what makes one kid become the, you know, prostitute... Crackhead, and the other one right. that had the same parents got you know mostly the same treatment, and it it a lot of it I think has
0: to do with the way that you perceive. Well, the answer the experiences. is it's I- just ifs weird. is the answer internal okay. family systems. Okay. So first of all, just to sort of like basic knowledge, we're all born with certain genetic predispositions and resiliencies. We have that we have those going in, but then these things can take us on or off course. So in a dysfunctional family, which is just about every family, uh children take on different roles to fill in that dysfunction. So you won't, in a, child, in a family, they won't all be what's called the hero role. They won't all be heroes. Usually there's a hero, look at how good she's doing. Like she's getting the, you know, the star of this team and getting all those grades and, and look, and then there's a scapegoat and him, he's just a, a good for nothing. You know, why can't you be more like your sister? Right. And like, so there's a hero there's a scapegoat. There could be the, the mascot who just tries to cheer everybody up. When you know, so uh, a woman named Claudia Black has discussed his study this, and she talks about the family roles and your childhood role will have a certain outcome later in life. Like the hero will often be a perfectionist, and the hero will often sometimes fail in life because they're too scared. A lot of people who don't finish stuff, like you know, they'll start it but they'll never finish because they're too scared that their own self image as the hero will be proven wrong if they fail. So better not to attempt uh so they can hold on to their own illusory self image uh you know again the mascots the you know everyone who's trying to always make everybody happy everyone takes on their different roles in the family and those lead to corresponding issues later in life
1: absolutely i've observed that in families in which there are siblings and you see how that plays out <laughs> right. later on
0: i want i want to say two other things like, yeah. these are all fresh with our child like there's so much it's fun i i literally have not talked about this in public before. I'm excited. So I'm like, I, I'm just well, blown Well, when I chatted with you
1: about it, and even when you told me about the letters right, and, right.
0: you know, the cool things you're yeah. telling, I'm
1: like, oh, I got to like dig in with Neil and find <laughs> out what he's doing because I'm sure that it's being done in a conscious and interesting way. So yeah. I'm glad that you're unloading and excited. On yeah, cool yeah. Two
0: things I do is I always give, uh, I always, I, one is because a child's always in the present. One thing is I never leave with him upset or crying. Child doesn't want daughter or mom to leave. I will wait as, I will wait till he's happy and doesn't feel abandoned. But if you understand that a child's always in the present moment, he can be. I want to go. Maybe I'm at Ingrid's. He's like, I want to go with Dada. I'm like, you want to go with Dada? She's like, yes. And I, maybe I'm late to some meeting or something. Like, and and Ten has to stay with Ingrid to go to somewhere. I think you want to go with Dada. Like, let's go. Get in the car. So I'll get in the car. I'll drive around the block. Be like, do you have fun? Yeah, I had fun. Great. <laughs> and then he's happy. Bye, Dada. But we're, we we translate a child's <laughs> right. thing into our stuff. We think it's forever. Like if I say, I don't like Luke, that's kind of forever. When a child doesn't like Luke. He just doesn't like Luke in that moment. And two minutes later, he could love Luke. So when the child wants to go with you, you're like, no, you can't. I have to go to work. You can be like, yeah, a child doesn't really want to come to work with you. Like he just wants to know that he can come to work with you. And you're like, okay, so literally I'll just let him do it. And three seconds later, he got to do it and he's over it. That's hilarious. You
1: know? It's like that thing when you when you leave your dog and they're real <laughs> right. upset when you leave. And then you realize when you get home, they're just as excited 10 minutes later. Than if you went to the fucking movies for three hours. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like the dog doesn't really, he's just in the moment and they're bummed because you leave and they're excited when you get back. But I really don't think they can perceive the period of time
0: in between. Yeah.
1: Whereas I feel more guilty leaving for three hours than 30 minutes. Right. But to yeah. the dog, it's, yeah. The, yeah. Same yeah. it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Right?
0: And knowing they want to, knowing you're always come back, a friend of mine, uh, uh, has a great thing he does if he's going on he's a touring musician so the mom will give their daughter who's three and a half like a calendar check off the days till dad comes back so she knows that he's not gone forever and isn't abandoned on this day dad will be back oh cool Um, another thing is to give a child agency because think about we all think I'd like to be a child it'd be horrible to be a child they're crying and upset way more than you are in your life you just cried and were upset one hundredth of that you would want medication right but they have no agency you're being strapped into things Taken. you have no agency as a child so giving a child choice is like so powerful, and I know when I'm out, and people are like, Oh, that was amazing parenting because they're ch- You, you know, maybe he has a tantrum about something. Like, well, do you want that or do you want that? And giving them that choice and agency is so powerful. But I know we're gonna have to wrap it up in a second, and I'm I want to bounce to one thing I've been talking about, like those early, overall, they're two. If you think a child that they're in, like two main phases, let's say, I mean, obviously, there's like the infant phase where they're just completely dependent, but if you think of the early childhood phase, let's say, and then there's the teenage phase, which we haven't discussed. just want to kind of throw this out there because I think it'll help people who, uh, whether you have teenagers or you have a friend with teenagers, there's this natural process that happens. So the child is completely dependent, but the teenager becomes anti-dependent, right? So some people could be great parents to a dependent child, but when they start breaking away, like you were saying, what do I do if my child hates me? Well, guess what? Child's going to fucking hate you, right? I go on tour with like rock stars, and and because that's a normally writer for Rolling Stone. Um, and you'll see someone who plays for fifty thousand people adoring fans, and the child's like embarrassed by their dad. Oh my God, so embarrassing. Right. <laughs> Those people right. just like worship the ground your dad walks on. Right. So like the so the number one key place where children's wound is in the dependent child when their dependency needs aren't taken care of. But then you have anti-dependency needs. What is the anti-dependency need? It's the need to separate. So as a adult, if you allow your child to, they, they want to separate faster than you want them to, then, then it's healthy for them. So if you allow them to slowly separate and slowly expand those boundaries, uh, that's where a lot of the self-esteem and growth come in. So a lot of the self-esteem wounds come from a child not being allowed to in- individuate as their own person uh, and separate healthily. So you have to realize that a time comes It's actually earlier than the teenage years, right? Um, Where their goal and their programming is to separate from you and sort of being the uh, moderator of that separation versus, oh my God, what's wrong with them? They're so bad. What's ungrateful? All that crazy shit that the parent puts on them because they need that love. The love will come later. If you let them separate healthily, you'll get decades of love afterward. If you don't, they're not even going to want to talk to you when they're older.
1: Oh, that's amazing. That's um, something
0: terrifying to look forward to when yeah. you have teenagers because you know that that's coming, right? Yeah, yeah. Bet, but you can, yeah. but if you can but, understand it, you can yeah. take it personally and then have Yeah, I know just... that it's a part of…
1: A na- I mean, obviously, there's it's a part of nature's wiring to yeah. make human offspring be able to go take care of themselves. Right. And so there's a part of them that just starts to spring up that's like, I hate you. And you're like, but what? I right. did everything for you. <laughs> right, you know? right, right. I don't deserve this. Right. It's like, no, nature's doing yeah. that. To and protect
0: them yeah. and get them out of the goddamn nest. And at least the two other notes, my mom yeah. always had, this, and so many parents are like, I did so much for you. How can you do this? Like there's an the idea that you owe your parents something. Like 10, oh, 10 and then you owe your parents nothing. You owe them nothing. It if you, it's nice to take care of them when they're a dependent elder, don't, so many people listening are probably taking care of parents who can take care of themselves. It's different when they're sick or in the hospital or something like that. That's different. That's really a nice thing to do if they're sick. But you don't owe them anything. Tell him I'll be in a minute. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. One minute left. Okay. Um, that it was their choice to have you. Everything I do for my child is a choice. And everything is a fucking joy. Even changing his diapers. You get to be close to this little, like, cute baby. Like, it's just the cutest thing in the world. Like, it's a joy. Like, he doesn't owe me anything. If he chooses to never talk to me, which I hope doesn't happen, I'll be really sad. If he doesn't owe me anything because I did it, it's not a uh, transaction. So if a parent is saying that you somehow owe them something because of all they did for you, it's a sign of how poorly you were parented, right? It's your choice. They they had the choice to have you, and everything they did. If it wasn't a you know a joy, probably damaged you.
1: Awesome. All right, I've got two uh, real quick questions that you can answer. Um, you know, without elaborating, just because. And just to clarify that
0: it's not like yeah. everything's a joy. Sometimes it, sometimes it's a hardship. Parenting is the hardest fucking thing ever.
1: Yeah,
0: it, it is. But like the, the net effect is joy.
1: Yeah. I I get that. (laughs) It's
0: so fun to talk about, man. I could go on forever. You
1: know, in the spirit of us being here with Jack Cruz and learning all about EMFs and Wi-Fi and 5G and Mm -hmm. blue light and all that, uh, what's your perspective on screen time and devices and getting a kid habituated to the dopamine and all of the stuff that we're now finding out about? You know how many parents are raising their kids with this technology, right?
0: I mean, I think that's one of the I think that's one of the boundaries to do to do. And this is uh, this is Ingrid, and you know, she, you know, we unplug the internet at, at, at night, and you know, and put on the doesn't care what he doesn't care about the brightness or the colors coming out of the screen. So you just put on the you know the uh, that iPhone hack that Matt Maruka yeah, talked about, yeah, the where red, uh, red screen, yeah. be the red screen. So so we'll do all that, and then you just have to minimize it because it is addictive, and it is probably one of the biggest challenges of parenting. Um, and, and there and there and there are a number of ways to do it, and the, but I think there's a danger. And again, I think it's harder with teenagers or, or when they're when they're when they're when they're older. Um, but I know one parent that like is uh, they have the charging cord, so they just give them. They have a couple charges to moderate over the course of a week. But I think there's a danger in giving them something as a reward. If you're good, you get to do this because then it habituates them to think of it as a reward. It's a good thing.
1: Yeah. Right? I so, mean, that's one of the dangers of the technology to begin with is it's a dopamine reward every time you refresh your yeah. page or get your likes or whatever it yeah. is. So,
0: And to be frank, we you thought know, we would never do it, but there are times when like, you. I mean, just for me, I've just been... Frank honesty, or like you do use it as a babysitter for a little bit. You're like, fuck, well, I have to make this I'm call. Too. I'm <laughs> like, Dude,
1: I gotta get some emails done. And the kids like, Daddy, I want to play. I'm like, cool. Here's the iPad. Like, I gotta get shit done. I mean, I can imagine right. that that's. You know, yeah. it used to be, oh, here's your teddy bear, your football or right. whatever. But, you know, you now have something that's even more engaging that's going to, in fact, distract yeah. them in a more meaningful way, and which it, could assist you in being able to, you know, do and life. And it's,
0: and, it's, and it's basically, so here's, here's the simple way we do it, which is we let it die as often as possible. And so I just let it die as often as possible. So when he wants to play them like, oh, sorry, no batteries. Oh, no, it's not working. So I just, nice. so here's the thing. We're going to tie this all together because we, I yeah. think we started off talking about my, the house burning. Yeah. So to tie it together, in Malibu, my this is just my friends. I'm not saying it's everybody. My friends who lost their houses are happier than the people who didn't. Even though it's obviously a bigger trauma. Why? Well, when you lose your house, you have no choice. It's just all gone. The ones who didn't are like, oh, there's toxic chemicals in there, and the and the company's not coming, and my insurance is doing this. Like those who lost their house, you just have to choose to make the best of it. Same with the iPad. If there's a charged iPad there and you say you can't use it, well, they feel like you have choice, so they can work on you there's a dead iPad there there's nothing they can do about it so, <laughs> so having no ch- when it's not your choice you can't have a tantrum another example if you don't if you want your kids to eat fucking healthy don't have anything unhealthy in the house they will look through the fridge and the things and take something and then you're going to have an argument with them about that cracker or that candy or whatever it is if you have nothing there they look through there and they'll take the fruit or they'll take what's best so when they don't have a choice and you're not you know no, it's, it's out of my control the iPad is dead and there's no candy in the house. Awesome. I
1: love it, dude. Well, I think we covered a lot of great stuff. I <laughs> Yeah, we did, man. It. I feel yeah. like we scratched, we scratched the I surface. It was so fun you know, to talk. It's there's so, always more. We'll yeah. check in when 10's a couple yeah, years, we'll, years older. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? Like, You'll have a new I'll set
0: of challenges and solutions. And, and I'm still learning. But I think the most important yeah. thing I can say is like, conscious parenting like, is the, like, the most important thing you can do Like in this lifetime you're going to have children. And it starts with being conscious of yourself and your own stuff. There's a young quote that I'm going to botch, but we can end with that. It's like, until you make the unconscious conscious, you know, these bad things will happen to you and you'll be in drama and trauma and you'll call it fate. But it isn't. You just have to make the unconscious conscious for yourself and then for the next generation.
1: Beautiful. Closing question is, you've taught me a ton today. You've taught our listeners some amazing information. Who have been three teachers or teachings in your life that have influenced you that our listeners might be able to go look up and learn from? Yeah.
0: I mean, Rick Rubin, uh, just a a great mentor. Uh, Pia Melody did a lot of the work on trauma uh, that that we're uh, talking about probably Bugs Bunny because he just doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's a first. Yeah. I think Rick's the first too. Pia <laughs> Melody maybe
1: mentioned right, right. before. That's good. Okay, cool. I love that, I love that question because I'm always like, what the hell are they going to say? <laughs> yeah, Sometimes exactly. it's like, oh, obviously Jesus, Eckhart <laughs> right. Cole, whatever, you know. And it's not a set. If you ask me like three hours,
0: I'd have three different people. Probably. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. Totally. Cool. And where can people find you? Websites, anything you want to promote, social media, if people want to look you up and learn more about you. I mean,
0: the main thing that' I have to run in. I'm doing this uh, podcast uh, I don't even know. I think the title is going to be Los Angeles. Uh, it starts in February via Tenderfoot and Up and Vanished, but it's an insane 12 part story. What's interesting, it's a murder or a crime story, uh, but it relates to some of the psychological stuff we're talking about. Cool. So I can say, Can't but wait. but if you start the first episode, it's it's all true. It's super intense, super sad, and really. Uh, and it's a lot to learn from it and, and I, I don't know I'm gonna go uh, cool
1: I'm looking forward to that yeah. and uh, and I think that this we're, what we just recorded will probably come out in late February so maybe later it'll be out and people can dig right in so yeah yeah thanks for that I can't wait to hear it alright cool man alright love you man you too <laughs> well I don't know about you but I'm ready to go out and make some babies if, if being a dad can be that fun and interesting I'm in Neil is such an inspiration and you're an inspiration too if your ears are still hearing my voice because you are now officially a diehard Lifestylist Podcast listener or one could hope that you become one. Thank you so much for joining uh, Neil and myself for this conversation. I can't tell you, and I always say this at the end of the show because I get nostalgic for the interview that took place and the fact that I get to share it with um, thousands and thousands of people every week. But I just feel so blessed to be able to have conversations with brilliant people such as Neil and many, many others. I think a couple hundred of them at this point now. And uh, I just can't believe that this is, well, not my only job, but one of my jobs. And you, my friends, make that possible. If you'd like to continue to hear this show, I'm not going to ask you to go to Patreon and give me $5. Or even um, go to my site, lukestory.com forward slash support and donate dollars. I don't even know if I still have that up. What I'd like you to do is just share this episode with some friends. I mean, that's the biggest thing you can do to support. So whether you do a screen grab and post it on Facebook or your Instagram stories or whatever as many people do, texting this or emailing it to a couple, a few people that you care about that you think might benefit from this information, you might just rack your brain right now and think, hmm, who just had a kid recently that I know? if you're uh, of that age bracket where people are popping out little human monkeys, um, share this episode with them. It would mean a lot to me, it would mean a lot to Neil, and um, probably to them, if they're someone that's interested in expanding their awareness of the human experience. I'd also like to remind you to check out Neil's new podcast, "To Live and Die in LA, about the disappearance of aspiring actress, Adea Shabani. As I said in the intro, this podcast is insane. And to, to be honest, like... I listened to it and and the first episode, and it's so well done, like the music and just all the little interludes and different interviews, and it's such a great story. I'm, um, you know, and I'm saying that with a smile on my face because it's entertaining, but I just want to throw in this is also a very sad and tragic story, um, obviously because someone has disappeared, but. Um, Just from a podcaster's point of view, not to make light of the suffering um, involved, of course, but I'm just sitting there going, oh my God, this is so badass. Like who edited this? It's insane. Um, And then thinking, you know, I don't want to do interviews anymore. I'm going to tell stories and started getting really inspired. So um, I'm not going to make a show like Neil's because I'm not an investigative journalist uh, as he is sometimes. But um, I think I'd like to do more adventures and and narratives where I go off and do things and and then come back and kind of report and do a podcast about it. So um, the first one of those will be coming up actually, talking about my trip to Rhythmia in Costa Rica. In that episode, I do something similar to Neil, where I just give this complete uh, play-by-play live report from every single step along the journey. So uh, you can look forward to that one coming out. But in the meantime, listen to Neil's show. It's fantastic. And then, um, of course, join me. A course, is that a word? a course in miracles. Now, of course, join me on Tuesday for Biocharger Harnessing the Power of the Cosmos. That episode is going to blow your mind. If you're someone that's into biohacking and new technologies to support your health, that machine is insane. I have it right behind me, actually, as I record. I just used it about 15 minutes ago. And uh, I think it's really helping me put sentences together in a somewhat logical fashion at this time in the morning. It's 10.30 a.m. I never record at 10.30 a.m., usually 10.30 p.m. So I'm like, damn, this biocharger lights you up. If you want to learn about that, join me Tuesday. And then, of course, let's thank this week's sponsors, Blue Blocks. I mean, dude, you got to have blue blocking glasses. If You're trying to be healthy and protect your mitochondria, protect your melatonin, get better sleep, better energy, be in alignment with the cosmos. Speaking of cosmos, with the planetary shifts, uh, you got to block that blue light at night. So you can go to blueblocks.com that's B-L-U B-L-O-X. They got a little tricky there with the spelling. Blueblocks.com Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15% off those blue blocking glasses, which by the way could be reading glasses, prescription, or just standard blockers. And uh, they're doing it right. So go check them out. And then of course we've got my friends over at Juve. Funny thing, uh, I was actually just using the Juve Go their smaller handheld product as I sat in front of the biocharger prior to recording this. See, so yeah, I practice what I preach, you guys. So to check out Juve, you just go to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's juve.com forward slash Luke. Another tricky one to spell here, that's J-O-O-V-V dot com. Use the code Luke at checkout and get a special gift. And then finally, for Sigmatic. Ah, my buddies. They've been with the show for a long, long time. I use their products every damn day. I love those medicinal mushroom packets, the little instant coffee packets. These guys are making the chronic goods. That's foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story, foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. The audience discount is 15%. And if you use the code Luke story at checkout, you're going to get it. That's foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. Code is also Luke story. Save yourself 15%. All right, my friends, I'll see you Tuesday where we talk about the biocharger. Thank you so much again for listening to this show. You are helping me and my dreams come true. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.